Hello and welcome back to the Relationship Matters podcast. We believe relationship matters from humanity to nature to the larger whole. I'm your host, Katie Churchman, and I'm delighted to be back with a special bonus episode with CRR Global CEO and co-founder Marita Fridchon. In this episode, we're discussing chasing the speed of change. So much has happened already in this year, 2022, and we're looking at ways of creating space within pace and looking to relationship before diving into our agendas. How can we slow down up front in order to speed up in the long run? So without further ado, I bring you the brilliant Marita Fridgeon. Hi, Marita. It's so good to see you. How are you doing? I'm good. And it's been ages since we, it feels like ages since we last talked. So I'm delighted to see you again and also to be in the conversation with you. Yeah. And it's a, it's an interesting topic we've landed on chasing the speed of change, because I feel like so much has changed since our last conversation. What are you noticing right now? Well, what is so interesting is when we start talking about chasing the speed of change, it happens on every level. It happens for me personally. It's happening for you personally with stuff that happens in our lives. But it would have happened anyway. But it also is happening with me and it's happening with you and it's happening with our teams and it's happening with our employees because everything changed for them as well. And one of the biggest changes we see is the technological evolution and the fact that we now assume sitting with somebody in conversation that is a half continent away from us. It's not the same as sitting with somebody in a conversation when we actually sit in the same room in the same country or in the same city. And I don't think we are aware of just how that has changed so much of what we anticipate, expect, and know about one another. That's so interesting. So it's almost like the technological evolutions that we see, we haven't caught up in terms of our relational interactions and the way we be with one another. The way in which you said it, yeah, when I'm looking at, you know, just just Google through for challenges for leaders at the moment, challenges for trainers at the moment, challenges for, there's a theme that is how do you retain engagement during virtual situations? Hmm. Because... By nature, the fact that we can go virtual, we can also go bigger in numbers. Is the meeting that I have with my organization, when we do a summit of some sort and all of us fly to the same city, is that engagement the same as the summit or the organizational meeting that we now have, wherever we fly in on Zoom in different time zones and from different countries? No, it is different. Mm. It's a very different experience. And from the difference of that experience, we do need to focus more on paying attention to who is in front of me now mm. and how do we really make that connection that we made over breakfast this morning when we are in the same hotel or uh, during the coffee break when we are in the same course room. We don't have that at the moment. So that forces us to pause because if we don't pause, then we go too fast and we lose relationship. And when we lose relationship, we lose the sense of belonging. When we lose the sense of belonging, we lose achievement and sustainability. And you can just see how then everything speeds up even more. Yeah, I love that term chasing because it really 
lands with this. Um, we're trying to do things the same, aren't we? When we're working virtually, we're showing up just as we would in the room, but we've missed all those other conversations and interactions. Yes. And even the fact that, you know, we can see how tall or short someone is, that's gone. Exactly. You mentioned earlier, uh, before we started talking about uh, Faith and how you've now known her for I don't know how many years, but you realize you've never met her in person. Yeah. And how many people, for everybody that's listening, how many people do you have deep connection and working relationship with that you've never met? And you assume that you know the person. Well, yes, we do know them, but it's very different from knowing somebody when you've walked through the same hallway and you sat down over a drink or a cup of coffee and you could slow down because you could slow down the conversation because the moment we sit over coffee or a drink or a meal, that immediately slows it down to a different mm. pace, which is very difficult to attain in meetings. In meetings, we really are working with that principle of emergence. In meetings, we have to deal with what is emerging for this particular team or this particular individual or this particular organization. What is emerging now that we have to work with before it becomes an emergency? And you can see how immediately, if we think emergency, we are in, in, in speed. Mm. When we begin to back out and feel into emergence, we have to take a little bit more time to actually meet one another in what's emerging before we try to act. I've never thought about that, Marita, that all those things we do that seem so often, uh, you know, silly, small interactions on the side, they actually slow us down. They not only connect us, they also sort of orientate us to the relationship in it itself. It is a ritual that has been created by humanity to have connection. Yeah. A cup of morning coffee with your partner, a drink with somebody in the evening, a meal together is actually a ritual that supports relationship mm. and that deepens relationship. How do we begin to do more of that in our virtual world? I want to bring Faith back in. She can be a, a ghost role on this call. Um, there you go. Because we do have a really deep, meaningful friendship. And that's why I'm amazed that we haven't met in person. I'm wondering what's happening there that isn't happening in loads of the team conversations clients I'm working with, they're saying, I just, I haven't met my team, so I haven't got that thing. What's happening, say, in Faith and I's dialogue, or you and I, compared with so many other virtual interactions? So now I am going to switch roles. Okay. And from the systems inspired perspective, I know I'm going to be the interviewer. <laughs> You're Katie. switching this up. <laughs> yes. Katie, if you think about your relationship with Faith as an example, what happens between the two of you when we come together virtually that creates that? Just, just begin to riff on it. What is it that makes that possible? That it feels like it's a deeper relationship? What's a relationship of depth? Yeah, I was going to say check-in initially. And I think that word's thrown around. But what I mean by that is really checking in where the other is. Um, so not assuming that they're in a certain place and really creating space for that. Sometimes it's a big chunk of the beginning of our call meeting each other and allowing the other to sort of see you where you are so it's something about and I, I love the example it's something about meeting the person first before you meet the agenda yes yeah that's it and it's it's you know how do because the moment i'm just thinking about a call that i had this morning with part of our global distributed leadership team where we were sitting in the fire 
was something that has to be acted on. And I went in there with a very clear desire for us to check in with what is positive so that we can get better access to. But there was too much that had already taken the field with, we don't know what this is. We don't know how to work with this. We have this complaint. And you can feel even in the tone of voice that there's a speeding up. Mm. That's part of what we're talking about as call it in uh, arbitration, ventilation. You've got it. Then you have to, that's meeting. Meeting is the place where you, I realize we have to ventilate first because that's the thing that's driving the speed. So sometimes I think about a great check-in question, but when I really meet, it is, let's meet where you really are. Okay, let's get those things that just is driving us nuts, is fatiguing, whatever. So contrary to what I was hoping to do, because I knew all those things, it wasn't about creating positivity because my agenda was to meet in positivity. That's not meeting. That's my agenda. And literally it was being able to sit in that soup of fire together that could then from that um, word that I'm besotted with that comes from a psychological field that talks about enantiodromia. Okay. And if I go deep enough into that which is bad or whatever, I naturally begins to go up to that which is good. It's that figure eight symbol, enantiodromia. So from the enantiodromia perspective, we had to go into what was troublesome first, but really have that experience. And it's not just blaming others. It was, I'm so tired, I can't, I don't know how to do it. It is owning my experience of overwhelm. That naturally begins to go to a recognition that happens, what happens with others. And then we can begin to go to, so from all of this, What are some of the things that if we look back over the last year or over the last three weeks that we can mark as change that was successful that we have already implemented? Hmm. But if I try to meet with that question, I am no longer meeting the other person in front of me or the team. I'm meeting them with my agenda and that will increase speed. So it's that, and I think that I've just taken it to a team and organizational level, but that's part of what you're talking about with check-in. It really is curious and vulnerable in asking the question, what's going on for you today? As we're sitting here and trusting that what they are capable and willing to bring is what they're capable and willing to bring. And then sit for a moment in that and then go back to, well, and this is what's happening over here. From there, from that kind of meeting, we can begin to move to a deeper revealing of what needs to be worked with and what the emergency is. But we needed to sit in the emergency quadrant for a good 10 minutes before we could make way to emergence again. And I can't, we can't do emergence unless we have a retrospective of what already has changed that is successful because we don't count the change. And we don't credit for that. You said 10 minutes, and I know that would terrify a lot of my clients, the idea of losing 10 minutes at the beginning of a really busy, packed meeting that's probably squeezed in between other meetings. So, you know, what are your thoughts to to those people who are terrified by that? I'm sitting in that same quadrant with everybody. How do we do that? (laughs) What I do believe and what I've seen in my own experience and observe in teams that we're working with is the truth of this and the whole saying, I don't know who created it, that says we have to go slow. We have so little time. We have to go slow. We have so little time. (laughs) I love that. If we don't go slow, we will keep messing up because we 
that if we go at that speed, we'll have to, no, that didn't work, that didn't work, that didn't work. So we have to do a lot of going slow first. That's revealing that is really about, let's look, okay, what is here? What have we changed? What can we change now? What is, oh my goodness, I don't even want to think about it. And then from that, that's revealing. Now let's begin to see where can we find the one place that we can align and act on and celebrate. Mm -hmm. But unless we go to that meeting and find people where they are, it's the basic competency in coaching. What is the client's agenda? I can't get to that agenda unless we've emotionally, in vulnerability and with curiosity, meet them where they are, because that will shape the agenda. Mm. But I think it's one of the biggest challenges for us as coaches that we go in and leaders and people, we go in with the image and the memory of where people were the last time we saw them. Yeah. They're not there today. They're not there in the same set of achievements. They're not there emotionally. They're not, they're not there. So we can't move ahead unless we know where we are today and in this moment. Yeah, it's a disservice to them, isn't it? To not really see them where they are. Yeah, yeah. I was just thinking about um, a co-lead I did recently, a very packed course, ORSC Fundamentals, as you know, so much in day one. And I came up with the mantra space and pace because there's a lot to get through, but also how can you hold those questions say in a spacious way and that really sort of landed for me because it's like you can hold space within pace correct that's a great way say that again space and pace space and pace yeah space and pace (laughs) space and pace because the the speed place is in this strategic part of the brain and the brain can't it, it can't do it unless we unless we go back a little bit to the relational aspect we will ramp up against one another. Hmm. So there is something about what I think of as the pace of evolution that depends very heavily on practicing the pause. Yeah. So space and pace is similar to practicing the pause. That is, let's just sit with it a little bit before we make the next question. Because, and that's the, the old tradition, the Aboriginal tradition that is dialoguing with questions. The more I have suggestions for what we should do, the more we speed up. No, we should do. And you can hear just even talking about that. It's going faster. But if going fast is getting us nowhere, it's a waste of time. Mm. We don't have time for that. That's that old thing about we're going to go slow. We have so little time. (laughs) I think that's it because that courses are so packed and you obviously want to give them everything because it's just the most rich, wonderful tapas bar, as it's often called, of tools. But you can deliver that in a rushed way or there's also that piece of, so is that enough for now? And that's a question. It's a spacious opening and it gives them a voice to say, yeah, actually, if we can come back to that later, but that's fine for now. That's one of the other things from a systems-inspired leadership perspective that makes meeting, really, if I'm sitting in that space where I don't have to have the answers, I don't have to answer every question, I don't have to solve every problem, I can say, let's sit with that for a little bit, I can say, over our next coffee break, when you turn your video off and to go and grab a copy or whatever it is, walk with that, and let's pause that one for a little bit and come back to it. Or the question that you had is a really great question. Just think for a moment to yourself who it is that you will have a dialogue about that. Mm. Because I think as trainers and educators, 
within a curriculum timeline, we think we have to answer all the questions. We don't. There are some that we can answer. There's others where we need to be able to say to people, don't have time for that one right now. And my answer may be different from the solution that you come up with. Make a note of that. Go and have a dialogue with somebody about that. And then bring it back to us because it probably will be really useful for everybody else. Mm-hmm. So it's not about cutting people off. It is about help do the work because you might have a better answer than the one that I can think up for you right now. So there's a difference between dismissing and trying to have all the answers that then get forced out of you and forced upon people. Yeah, you can almost um, feel it with the breath. There's that, okay, but we, you know, we've got quite a lot to get through, so let, let's move on. And it's up here, and it's in sort of that throaty space. Or there's that kind of, that's a really great question. I'd love you to hold that. We're going to come back to that section in a moment. In the meanwhile, noodle with it and see whatever we're going to say right now, begin to provide answers. Yeah. It really is that invitation to collaborate. Yes. It is the normalizing that in this moment, there may not be the right answer. It's not a bad question. Keep holding it. Mm. Uh, so there's something about that that's a very different dance yeah. from the rush of needing to have it right now because we can't have it all. We can't. Yeah. And there is something in the moments that we practice that pause or we name the space and pace that we begin to educate not only ourselves, but everybody else around us in a different way. Because in our Western society and in other societies as well, in a different way culturally, we got groomed to beat the speed of change. Mm -hmm. That is an evolution that all of us now need to go through. If we want to evolve, give up beating the speed of change, it's not possible. We can make And, you know, in evolution, we know that the nature of evolution is that it births something new and something different. Mm. So the evolution that we access now is not going to stay for forever. That's the nature of evolution. There's going to be another evolution that happens. Yeah, that's so true. And it it's so obvious, isn't it? But yet we always are. I think most of us in this sort of race, the race to what? And um, as soon as we say space and pace, there is this sort of, yes, you and yourself as a leader, a coach, a facilitator, you take on that that space, but then you're also modelling it, aren't you, for the group that you're with? Yes. Well, and that's one of the things that I want to acknowledge. You know, when I sit with my CEO hat on or when I sit as the trainer in a course, or and when I sit in the coach that is, to some extent, it is easier for me to hold that hat because I'm not sit, I am observing and coming in to hear about the fires that they are sitting in. Mm. And from, and again, from the leader perspective, I want to solve all of that in the moment. Yeah. But actually, it is somebody called, uh, renamed the title of CEO as Chief Emotions Officer. <laughs> it is being able to sit in the fire with them and help slow things down. Do I ne- then need to go to somebody else that I can go, uh, you're my coach or you're my mentor in this one. I-, I need help because what happened there, that's why we go to coaching and that's why we need to continue to ask for help, whether it's peer supervision or whether it's a trusted ally or whether it is what uh, has become known in the book that got written about U.S. presidents, that every president had what they call the first friend. Okay. 
it's not a person that's on the staff. It is not somebody that's in the Senate or in the, it's a first friend. It is somebody that they can go and sit and have the conversation with so that they can unpackage their speed of change and their failure and their whatever. I think all of us need a version of a first friend, whether we call that a mentor, whether we call that a coach, whether we call that first friend. <laughs> but there's got to be that place because otherwise all of us will get overloaded because responding like that is normal. Yeah. Abnormal response in an abnormal situation is normal. Yeah. Who do I go to with that without offloading all mine on you? I love what you're saying, Marita, because you're firstly acknowledging that it's, it's natural in a way. We've been conditioned to be this way. And also, if we can slow down, it's going to be a superpower. In fact, it's essential, isn't it, to our relational yes. evolution? And then if I go to my partner or if I go to my CFO or if I go to whoever and say, I want to bracket. I'm not asking for your advice. I don't want for you to pick it up and fix it. I want for you to just listen for the next 10 minutes of me being complaining and unskillful. Don't coach me. Don't pick it up because if you do, it'll become about you. That alone, if you can begin to build those bonds with somebody that you know will hold that as my unskillful expression of my unskillful self, it is not the identity of the person or the situation about which I'm complaining. It is my reactive response. But I need to be able to trust that person that they will not hold whoever and whatever I talked about as true for the person or the situations that I talked about, because it's not. Hmm. It is my unskillful reactiveness to it. But every one of us is human. Every one of us have that kind of reaction to some kind of situation. Yeah. So would you say ventilation then is essential for us slowing down? Because um, we are going to get tripped up. I think there are places where we need to be able to do that on a team, but name it like that. And do not think of ventilation as a place to act from. Okay. It is a place to get us to enough of a situation. Ventilation actually is one of the examples that we sometimes use metaphors. It's like pressure cooker, where you just need to let off a little bit of steam, a little bit of steam, a little bit of steam. Otherwise, the thing is going to explode. <laughs> and we can't solve an exploding problem. That's a bigger problem. So it really is normalizing that that is part of what we as human humanity and humans, that's what we need. Uh, so all of us have a baby inside of us that needs to scream and have a temper tantrum. As long as we recognize and own that as my screaming, and it's not yours. It's my screaming. So it, and it's, it's a tricky one because we do assume that who we do it with and who we ask to do it has enough emotional intelligence and social intelligence to really hold that as not messed up. It's me doing my thing. It's us sharing the difficulty. And then we can put it aside and go to now put that emerging challenge in front of us and how we're going to work with it. You know what, Marita, I just realized as well that pressure cooker, I love that metaphor, that is in a way slowing down, but you're slowing down in order to save yourself time later because you're not going to have the big yes. eruption yes, or the meltdown yes. or whatever it may be. Um, so it may seem like that little check-in of, so how are we really doing today? That you know, 20 seconds even at the start of the meeting, that's going to save maybe hours, maybe days, maybe months of organizational time yes. 
because they've but, allowed know, one that. One of the things, yeah, one of the things that I have done, um, and many of us have done, is uh, with teams in team coaching, for example, and I've done it with some of our teams that I led as well, is when you sense something like this, literally take a stopwatch, set it for two minutes, and everybody at the same time vent. <laughs> That's brilliant. Let it out. Whether you speak it in words or scream or shout or whatever you do, let it out. That's a safer way because not everybody can listen to my, need to listen to my ventilation. We all have to think at the same time. I've sometimes had people write things on notes or draw pictures and then tear it up and throw it in the trash can. Anything like that that can allow it to happen without creating further damage. I think that is, that's what I'm saying. There needs to be enough protocol and there needs to be enough emotional, social intelligence that we can hold that as quote unquote normal human expression and not the thing that we can act from. Because if we don't do that, that pressure cooker will begin to continue to build steam as we begin to go in the direction of strategy. And it will interfere with agility in order to come to some kind of decision that will actually serve us. Yeah, you can see it, can't you? Because it won't have that sort of boundary around it. It'll just start to, um, it'll be part of every dialogue you have, every communication you have. And it's just there, it pervades the air, um, as opposed to being sort of a two minute thing contained at the beginning. It's now the whole meeting or the whole day, the whole year. Yes, it's a little bit like in order for, you know, when you think about our gardens, in order for the roses to bloom in summer, there needs to be some pruning. That's so true. Uh, In order for a lawn to look great, it needs to be mowed on a regular basis. That's nature. There are things that we need to be able to snip the branches off, not because it's bad, but because there's a new thing that's trying to come out and they can't get past that long shoot. If we can begin to normalize that this is part of humanity, as long as we don't go with that and contaminate (laughs) Uh, social media or the press or the whatever with these are the facts. No, they're not facts. Mm. They are responses to something. And if we only look at those and call them facts or lies, then we're working in the wrong currency. We can't get to the facts and we can't get to what needs to happen. But you can feel how there's a lot of complexity to this. I, it's, it's, not, it's not a simple, easy topic. And I think the thing that I probably want to close with is that I think it's one of the biggest evolutionary challenges in the vertical development for every single one of us as human beings. We need to be able to really do enough reflection, enough introspection to know who are all those selves in me that is going to this meeting. And I need to make some space and time for some of them to speak it out while I'm alone with myself and ask them to probably not attend this meeting uh, because there are some other parts of me that can do better. But it's my work. And how do we normalize it enough that all of us will be able to sit with ourselves before every meeting and just check in? Who are the selves that I'm bringing to this meeting? Who is the judgmental one and who and what are they judging? Until I can do some of that with myself, I walk in blind. How can I, for heaven's sake, if I walk in blind, how can I be not blind to who you are? Because it's my blindness that's painting the picture. And I really do think that for us as human beings, it is one of the 
biggest evolutionary challenges is that vertical development that I think is part of what the origins of spirituality, whichever one you look at, has been trying to do is give us, whether you call it meditation, whether you call it reflection, whether you call it, is the space to do that, be self-reflective, and then be more aware when I meet somebody else. Look what's happened. We've we've slowed down because we started with, um, as a leader, how can I slow down my team? We kind of skipped it, didn't we? The idea of, but I'm not really considering what I'm coming with myself. And that's the whole step that comes before. That's it. That's Fascinating. it. That's it. Yeah. And I think that, you know, as we evolve in the coaching industry as well, and some of the programs that we're busy working with now, that really is how do we, as coaches, but I'm always looking at us as human beings on the street, how do we bring that reflective nature? Because that's a systemic process. The first system is me. I have a systemic response from me to what's happening out in front of me. And unless I have some idea about who the players are and what the responses are, there's no way that I have space to meet the same thing happening across from me. Mm. Uh, So it's one of the things that, for example, if I know that consciously or unconsciously, you do a version of that in your rehearsal for a podcast, I I know that, I believe it, that creates a different safety and it creates a different interactive nature between who we are. And I think that that's that's the confidence and that's the trust that all of us are looking for when we start talking about the need for belonging and the need for sustainability. I think it's this piece. Mm. And it's deeply personal. And the moment it's deeply personal to that system that is me, it's deeply systemic for the person of we. And it is part of what the person of it or a third entity relationship is responding to. Yeah. Yeah. And what I'm thinking about, Marita, as we sort of close this conversation is how, whilst this isn't easy uh, to do all the time, there are simple ways we can show up and slow down. I notice sometimes how I rush through, say, at the supermarket, the grocery store, just rushing through, not seeing people, not seeing human beings, just seeing bodies and spaces and just slowing down for a moment to smile. But it's not much time, actually. I'm taking the same time, just as I was with my demo about asking questions a moment ago. It takes the same time, but there's space in the one to smile and to see the person, as opposed to just me rushing through with my shopping cart because I've got a million things things and I'm looking at my phone. Yeah, it's not easy, but it's simple, isn't it? We can show up in those ways. And I think that as we begin to do that, we begin to feel and see the impact of that and how we are working with emergence because we become more effective. It sounds contradictive, Mm. but we actually do become more effective. But it's that is the spiritual journey from whichever religion you are looking from. That's the evolutionary journey. And how do I bring more of that from me to my everyday life, from me inviting from you, them, it, in our negotiations together? Mm -hmm. I mean, if you think of our dialogues, we just briefly touched on this as well. Our dialogues, we're not working off a script. (laughs) No, we're certainly not. (laughs) It really is that piece where... There is the invitation into reflection of, we started with where we are, who we are, what's happening in our lives, but then it becomes a collaborative process of building and weaving. Hmm. 
And in my experience, every single time we've had a session like this and we had this kind of conversation, the world will call on our <laughs> telephone and some of this will show up in that call when I answer it. That's unbelievable. That's quant- we didn't... That's we didn't- a quantum... That's a quantum no, flirt. We didn't plan that. That's a quantum flirt. <laughs> it's like, how do we take the pieces that we've done here now and work with my irritation of that disruption so that I behave differently when I pick that phone up? Mm. And it stops very appropriately at the moment I stop talking. That's unbelievable. <laughs> wow. I mean, <laughs> and it does happen all the time, doesn't it? And how can it we... Does create from rather than react to whatever is emerging yes yes so i think if there's one thing that i want to take away for the two of us and also uh, suggest for people that are listening is pay attention to the quantum flirts those unexpected uh, the phone just it's like what is that how can i choose to leverage that in how i go forward if it's something that interrupted me how do i find the beauty in that mm. or the usefulness in that if it wasn't just something that happened. We became aware of it at a very specific point in time, at a very specific point of the session. Was it telling us to stop? Was it preparing us for the next thing that's going to happen? Just those are the questions. And who knows what shows up as answer. But it keeps us on our toes. That's it. And it slows us down. Marisha, I think there's a part two coming. I think there's a whole piece around that listening and that yes and mindset that we can lean into. This space with thank you thank yeah thank you thank you as always katie for just something that's life-giving on all sides and you too marita this was wonderful take care yeah yeah thank you thank you a huge thanks to marita for that fascinating discussion around chasing the speed of change here are my key takeaways chasing the speed of change happens on every level and it's inevitable it's part of being human So we have to work really hard at slowing down in order to focus on the people in front of us and connect with where we are. When we allow ourselves to slow down, we create the space to feel into emergence. In doing so, we can help prevent emergence from turning into emergency because we can create from rather than react to whatever is emerging. Slowing down doesn't necessarily mean we have to take up more time How can we create space within the pace of change? Where might we ask questions as opposed to feeling we need to find all the answers? Practicing pause is essential for our relational evolution. Whilst everything else speeds up around us, how can we create moments of pause in order to reflect on where we are and connect with who's in front of us? Ventilation can help us to slow down in order to speed up. By creating boundaries for ventilation to happen, for example by using a stopwatch, we can allow the pressure cooker to let off steam so that the lid doesn't explode off altogether. If we don't allow for ventilation, that pressure cooker will continue to build up steam as we move into our agenda. We've got to go slow, we have so little time. So the mobile phone ringing at the end of the episode has inspired another bonus episode. So do join Marita and I for another discussion. It's going to be on quantum flirts and quantum curiosity. Until then, take care. For over 18 years, CRR Global has accompanied leaders, teams and practitioners on their journey to build stronger relationships 
by focusing on the relationship itself, not only the individuals occupying it. This leads to a community of changemakers around the world. Supported by a global network of faculty and partners, we connect, inspire and equip change agents to shift systems one relationship at a time. We believe relationship matters, from humanity to nature to the larger whole.